speaker. All right, it says it's recording. All right, and so now in three, two, one. I'm not getting anything. <laughs> mm -hmm. All right, welcome to Battleground. I'm your host, Jeff Queen, sitting in for Ivan Garcia Hidalgo this week. And with me, as always, retired Phoenix PD officer Robert Arce. Robert, how you doing today? Robert? Robert, you with me? Here I am. All right. Oh, just, there you uh, go. <laughs> you disappeared there for a while, and uh, I'm here, and uh, it's good to be on the show. Yeah. Okay, good. Nothing like a little technical difficulty right out of the gate. Yes. Huh? Okay. yes. Well, uh, look, it's good to have you back. Uh, it's good to be sitting in for our buddy uh, Ivan Garcia Hidalgo and his regular uh, battleground, but we're going to kick it off with our uh, off-duty segment for Law Enforcement uh, Friday. But uh, first, uh, you know, I wanted to kick off. Ivan's got a political show, so we might as well uh, throw a little of that in there. And I wanted to start with President Trump's taxes. Everybody's so interested in President Trump's taxes. Well, today, the left is upset because President Trump got a $21 million tax deduction for preserving 150 acres of nature preserve around one of his estates in upstate uh, New York. Uh, $21 million uh, for 150, that seems ridiculous. But the truth of the matter is that this thing is, is mega million dollar property that could build easily 20 to 25 mansion-like estates that could each sell for 10 to 20 million dollars uh you know up there and the president has has set this land aside and, and the the property actually has a conservation easement already on there so if uh you know if the state wanted to come along and seize this thing by eminent domain they would spend five times that it would cost them a hundred million dollars uh, in wildlife studies and nature studies and legal fees and all of the things that go into creating a nature preserve. And, and you know, all of a sudden their line is, well, the president, uh, you know, is, is just doing this to get this, this huge tax break. And, and, and they don't, they don't say anything about him preserving the environment. So I guess, you know, the liberals just pick and choose which one of their uh, left-wing causes it is that, that they want to champion. And suddenly now uh, the president cares about the environment, but the liberals don't. They, they're more worried about his taxes. And, you know, the crazy thing about this that we're seeing, you know, Nancy Pelosi now yesterday came out and talked about, uh, you know, invoking the 25th Amendment uh, about a president's mental health. Her entire agenda in the president's, uh, uh, you know, almost four years in office has been to remove the president from office. She has not done one thing or led one thing in a, in a Democrat-controlled house that brings any good stuff to the American people, you know. It, it, 
everything, all of the legislation that, that she's authoring is designed to undermine the president and remove him from office. It's just crazy what we're witnessing in, in the United States of America today that, uh, that we literally have a, a bloodless coup going on uh, by a you know, sitting ele elected official towards a sitting president of the United States. Yeah, so much for the peaceful transfer of power. Uh, it never happened uh, during the last election cycle that we had in 2016 because the fight continues and it will continue no matter what. It, well, that's that's right. That's that's the entire crux of the uh, of the liberal agenda is don't let Republicans get in office. We don't bring anything else to the table. We just want to be in office, which is the, you know, the quintessential example of we, we want the power. Right. You know, that's, that's totalitarianism. Yeah, they want we, the power. They don't have to play by the rules. I was hearing uh, President Trump during the interview with Russia, and one of the things he was talking about was the disappointment on how the Republican Party doesn't play tough. Right. It, I mean, the, the, the news came out today about the uh, the report, uh, the Durham report, uh, and it's not going to get released. And, you know, it's this thing where they say, well, we don't want that report to look like it's a uh, we're, we're, it's a political thing. That whole mess was a political thing. Right. And and it's a criminal investigation into an attempt to remove a duly elected president. It's a criminal investigation and, and holding it up until after an election is the epitome of playing politics. Yes. Yes. And get this uh, when in 2016, as the election was coming, uh, as we're getting to the election, when all the mess came out about Hillary's emails and everything else, I was working for a department of state uh, working out of the U S consulate in Monterey. And I was uh, working with a, a drug a narcotics program there. And when all that came out, we were all forced to go back to a refresher course on hand, how to handle emails, classify emails, everything else. And the running joke was this was Hillary training. And yes. we had to sign some, uh, some uh, document saying that if we did not abide by the training and what we learned, we would lose our security clearance and prosecution. And they didn't hold... They didn't hold her to that. She signed the same agreement we did. It was a refresher training that we had yeah, to get about absolutely. our cell phones, that's how to operate the skiff and everything else. So it yeah. is, oh it my God. It applies to every, everybody but her. Yes. Everybody but her. You know, it's yes. just, it's, it's, it's lunacy. I, I don't, uh, you know, I, I don't understand why the Republicans don't stand up, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, fight back, you right. know, I mean, if, if, if look, if, if we're going to have a bloodless, you know, transition of, uh, uh, of power, we've got all the ammunition to do that. And we just sit and take it. Yes. Yes. And they're like, uh, you work for department of state, your cell phone is considered a sensitive item, right? If you lose that, it's a big deal. If yeah. you lose one, it's a big deal. Right. Uh, we had an employee, we had to let go. And he didn't turn his phone over immediately because he was trying to get his information numbers and all that. They're ready to send somebody over to kick his door and to take it from him. Right. That's that is Department of State, U.S. government property. And oh, yet yeah. the, the total disregard they had for the rules, not only on the emails, but on the cell phones. It's, it's you know, it's, it's unbelievable how, how, right. how 
Well, and and let's look at the you know the Justice Department aspect of this, where uh, you know now they want the cell phones of of these nineteen people that were involved in the Mueller report, and I think it was it was nineteen people, and I think thirty one phones, uh, and all of a sudden all of them accidentally got erased. Yeah, yeah. You know nobody what, nobody believes that that was just some you know catastrophic failure of the one server that was, uh, you know, working for those 31 phones. That was a coordinated effort to conceal uh, and and destroy evidence. That was a conspiracy to destroy evidence. It was a flat out conspiracy to, that was not a coincidence. And uh, the, I'm telling you, everybody knows when you work, when they give you that phone, it's a sensitive item. There's rules that you got to abide by with these phones. And uh, for like, (laughs) we'll go back to uh, Department of Justice. They're not going to be able to get around to releasing this report. And this is, to me, this is the argument I make. Why do we put lawyers in charge of the FBI? Because they can't even run the regular DOJ. Look at this, what they're doing. And yet every time there's a, a spot open for the director of the FBI, what do they do? They get an FBI, they get an attorney that has zero law enforcement experience because we all know how brilliant they are and they put him in charge. They put him in charge of the FBI and, that, and then you look at Mueller. You know, he looked like a drunk Herman a monster there that he couldn't he couldn't even oh, yeah. talk. It was so, it was painful. Yeah. It was so painful. Well, and, and you know, we, we talked about this last week when we were talking about, uh, you know, police administrators, you know, yeah. who, who go from being a street cop and all of a sudden they forget what it's like out there they they, they're so busy choosing that uh administrative career path that they don't know what the people on the street are going through and it's the same thing when you start putting you know a a bureaucrat in charge of a law enforcement organization you need to let law enforcement investigators investigate and and attorneys need to prosecute yes you know, that's that's what we need to do. It's the way we need to run our military. You don't put bureaucrats in charge of the battlefield. Right. You put soldiers in charge of the battlefield. As soon as you put a bureaucrat in charge of the battlefield, you you, you have made it a political, uh, you know, a, a agenda battle rather than uh, what it is. And that's a combat situation where you train and equip people to go out there and fight your wars for you. And then you turn around and give them unloaded weapons and, and, you know, you knock the sights off their gun or something. It's, you know, it's the, uh, it's ridiculous that you have an objective that you need uh, reached. And then you don't use the people that you've trained and put in place there to reach that objective. You try to reach it with people who, you know, ride a desk uh behind the you know the the back room of the you know thing and uh you know we've got to stop doing that we have a history of doing that we've always done it you know if we're going to fight a war we need to fight a war from the front with soldiers who are actually shooting guns if we're going to investigate then we need to have cops out there on the front line investigating yeah yeah because you know when you put the bureaucrat bureaucrat in charge of some of these uh, law enforcement agencies you know damn well that bureaucrat, the only thing he's doing is he's using that position as a stepping stone for his next big political job. It's a check mark. He's marking off on his resume, and that's all it is. He doesn't give a damn about those people because he was not part of that agency. He didn't right. come up the ranks. He doesn't care about them. It's just a stepping stone. 
and he's going to step on people's heads and people's backs to put himself into position for that next big paycheck he's going to get. That, that's exactly right. Well, let's move on. Let's get out of the uh, the 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 politics of politics, and let's let's move on into uh, you know law enforcement because that's what we're all about here. And uh, you know the the president mentioned today uh, when he was on with Rush Limbaugh about how uh you know in the the days and weeks uh after 9-11 that uh there was no greater hailed hero in this country than a cop with a badge or a you know fireman in turnout gear and, and uh you know just 19 short years later we've got protesters in the streets of new york city shouting pigs in a blanket Fry them like bacon. Yep. Uh, it's it, the the assault on our law enforcement, on our first responders, on our emergency services personnel, is, is unconscionable. Right. And, and I don't know, you know, what the the answer is because, well, I do know what the answer is. But when you do that, then you wind up, you know, you you, you validate what it is that they're talking about, um, you know. And so we we have to find a way uh to bring that respect back and it starts with those municipal leaders that we're talking about it starts with those administrators it starts with the people who sign those paychecks for them uh demanding that the public uh, uh you know extend that respect and that courtesy to those people who are going out there who are running into harm's way on behalf of everyone else to uh to to you know, end a problem that nobody else has the fortitude or the ability or the training or the equipment to handle. Yeah, it's, you know, the the, the battle cry initially was, or the cry was, uh, we will not forget. Well, uh, it was forgotten very quickly. Yeah, yeah not, not, not only did we forget, but, you know, uh, when when we're reminded, we say, well, that doesn't matter. That's, that's, that's not... Uh, you know that that was true then it's not true now and and it goes back to this uh this universal truth that you know the left so so conveniently relies on uh to uh to whatever is applicable in the moment right you know no when 9-11 happened i was working out of the uh, fbi headquarters in phoenix on a drug task force and we all got deputized uh immediately we got called in to work joint terrorism task force and you know, all of us were sitting there watching the TV or in the car doing surveillance, listening to the radio, listening to the coverage. And it was like something that to me and my family, it affected my family. My son was a high yeah. school senior. He ran off, joined the Marine Corps, went and fought Iraq, Afghanistan. And I'm sitting there eating my heart out thinking, I wish I was a kid so I can go do the same thing. Right. And that's what led me to do the contracting overseas. But I think, you know, you're watching when you're watching these uh, the footage of New York City. It was just is heartbreaking. You knew these guys when they when you saw that building collapse, the first one, the first tower. Right. My immediate thought is, oh, my God, how many how many that, people died? That's a, well, my, my 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 thought was, you know, how 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 many of my colleagues are, are still in there? Yes. You know, re rescuing people. You yes. know, I mean, right to the end. That's that's what we do. It's it's who we are, and, and we don't care how bad the odds are. We we go in, you know. Yes. It, it, the the that we get as many people to safety as we can 
no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what, you know, what the situation is, no matter what the odds are, we go. And how many people have died from the after effects from the cancer causing agents right. inhaled? It's been a, a lot. There's I, I'm on a Twitter page and I have some guys that are NYPD. Uh, they're constantly posting uh, brothers uh, that are dying, yep. uh, that are dying from the cancers and everything else. And uh, no, we, we have forgotten. We have totally forgotten. And, and it's uh, it's almost like some people uh, people should not be hesitant to say we support law and order. What's wrong with law? I mean, yeah. don't we all want law and order? Well, and now, now, you know, we've, we, we finally got to a point, uh, you know, when, when, when our soldiers were coming back from Vietnam, they were getting spit on and, and called all kinds of vile names and everything. And now we've gotten back to the point we restored that, that banner of respect to our military. And now every time you see somebody in, in, in uniform, everybody says, Hey, thanks for your service. Right. You know, but, but nobody says that anymore to, to our men and women in law enforcement. And I, I, I know you're like me. If you see, you know, a couple of guys, uh, you know, taking their meal break and out somewhere eating, you'll pick up a check or two. And, and yes. you know, I've, I've done it, you know, and, and you try to be real discreet about it and, and, uh, you know, make it, uh, so that, uh, you don't, you don't have to stand there and make them feel a little uncomfortable or, or whatever, you know, you just grab their, grab their check and, you know, uh, uh, you know, really discreet word to the cashier or the manager or whoever it is. And, and, and it gets taken care of, um, you know, and it's just one of those very little things that we can do, you know, to, to show some re- support and some respect, uh, you know, and, and frankly, I would like to see some uh, some enhanced effort uh, at, at trying to do things to uh, support our federal, state, and local uh, law enforcement officers. Yeah, there's a, I think one of the things that I, I did just a couple of weeks ago, I reactivated a Facebook page that I had not used in years. And um, going in there, and I had a lot of people I went to school with. Of course, there's a lot of cops, just a lot of friends that I grew up with. And it does feel good. What I'm starting to see is a lot of people have walked away that I would have never guessed. They've walked away from the Democrat party. Yeah. They're supporting law enforcement. So I do see a little change, at least with some of my people, my, my friends that I grew up. <laughs> and uh, so I think there's still hope that there's a segment of the population that does appro- uh, does, does uh, uh, respect and appreciate what we do. But I think a lot of it, too, is if you watch the media, you know, the media is full 100 percent in the tank for defund the police. Right. Come after. And a lot of times they could shape the perception that we feel how we're being looked at. But I mean, it's, uh, you know, the elitists in, in the in the mainstream media, of course, we know they don't have our back. Uh, yeah. And and a lot of those like when you meet them, people, they'll say something like, uh, uh, you know what, I don't. I don't like the cops, but I like you because I know you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> they say that a lot. And it's like, yeah. you're a cool cop, but everybody else, all those other ones, they're a bunch of they're, assholes. They're, yeah, they're, those, those, are, those guys are a bunch of jerks, but you're okay. Yeah. You're and, okay. And, 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 you know, I've, I've, I've had some of the same experiences. You know, you and I have talked about some of your experiences mm-hmm. before in, in, in some, of those, uh, some of those neighborhoods. And, you know, I, I've, I've had the experience as well where they say, well, I don't want you to send me just any cop. I want you to send me that queen guy. You know, I, I'll yeah. talk to him, but I'm not going to talk to anybody else, <laughs> yes. you know, and, and, 
and you go out there and there's nothing unique or or uh you know unusual about the situation it's a routine call and you go and you, you talk to the guy for a minute there's not anything you can do but he's just happy that you were the one that came and told him there was nothing that could be done and and you know just just move on with you know whatever he's doing and <laughs> It's it's just funny how some of those people say, you know, that they they've got to have their own special uh, cop. But it's uh, it's not even just the public. Sometimes it's uh, it's other agencies too. I, when I was in K nine, I used to have other neighborhood agencies call dispatch and ask if I was working. Yes. Uh, you know, because they knew my dog would bite somebody that needed to be, <laughs> you know, apprehended. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, so they would call and say, Hey, is, is queen working today? And, uh, you know, if I was, and I'd say that if I wasn't, they would say, uh, could you call him out? <laughs> you know? Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, it's just, uh, you know, it's just, it's just funny how, you know, certain, certain perceptions come across, you know, but, uh, uh, that's who we are and that's what we do. And we answer that call, no matter who it is, that's calling. And, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure that, uh, you know, you've, you've done this before too, and, and you'll be at home and your neighbors know you're a cop. So instead of calling the police, they come knock on your door. Of course. Hey, 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 this is what's going on. Uh, what should I do? And I always say, well, you should call the police. <laughs> you know, they'll, yes. they'll send you, they're not closed. They'll send you somebody, you know, <laughs> and, and he'll have his notebook and his, his, uh, his, uh, incident offense report, uh, re ready to go. Happy, happy to write down whatever happened. And, uh, you know, well, so it's, but, but, you know, that's, uh, you know, the kind of, uh, the, the kind of era that you and I policed in and, and, you know, our neighbors knew who we were, they knew what we did and they, they wanted us out there to, to take care of their problem. Yes. Yes. And, uh, going back on your comment there, I had an old boss that I worked for that used to call me every single time, uh, something he believed was negative that a cop did. And he'd call me and say, hey, you got to admit this is wrong. And so we talk about it. And but it was like, oh, why do you keep calling me about this? And yet on the on the on the backside, he tried to make people believe he was one of us. <laughs> he used tricky language and and he'd make it seem like he was prior law enforcement. A lot of people thought he was prior law enforcement. And yet deep down inside, I think he held this either a resentment maybe even a little hatred toward us yeah. and i was like i thought it was kind of comical but uh uh it's just it was humble he just would call me about every single thing that he thought and a lot of the times i'd say hey i agree with you but many times i'd say well you have no idea what you're talking about because this is what he did i saw the video and i agree with what the officer did so yeah. uh yeah well Let's uh, let's move on now. Uh, I want to talk about because uh, I certainly don't want to run out of time here. Uh, there's a new article that came out today uh, from uh, In Public Safety uh, magazine. Uh, it's an internet website uh, of uh, experts at American Military University. Uh, this article was written by Dr. Jared Sadulski, who uh, I actually had for a class one time. Uh, he's a Coast Guard veteran. And a Major Efren Munoz, who's Criminal Investigation Directorate uh, of the National Police of Columbia, uh, talking about uh, the main risk in uh, narcotics trafficking in Colombia is not uh, 
armed criminals or uh you know the the trafficking routes or anything but the the main risk is corruption yep you know and i think they make a good point in this uh and and it's a it it actually you know shows a little bit of difference versus uh uh, uh, Columbia versus what what goes on here, and and that is that the cartels have uh, the buying capacity to get whatever they want, uh, and so many uh, of these you know villages and towns in Colombia are so small, uh, you know that these guys have enough money to buy up the whole town and you know just uh, you know in, insert themselves as you know the 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 rule of law in, in these towns and. You know, obviously they don't have uh, they don't have the money and the capacity to do something like that here. Uh, you know, in in you know suburban America, uh, you know, but it does uh, it, it does work to their benefit to be able to continue to operate. Uh, you know, at the foundational end of, of of processing the drugs and and getting them into the pipeline uh, to get here. Yeah, the, the big difference, too, is like you go to Latin America, you go into Colombia, uh, you go into Mexico, you go to the uh, there, the government does not function well, so it doesn't provide, uh, doesn't help the people. So there's right. a void, and the cartels fill that void. The cartels right. are very good at doing PR campaigns. They go out and start handing out, like during COVID in Mexico, there's been... Uh, Various cartels have gone out and given COVID care packages with their stamp of the cartel on there. They're winning the hearts and minds. Right. The government is not doing it. And then they're right. providing employment opportunities within the drug trafficking trade that the government is not providing any job opportunities. And now you have people, whole towns along smuggling routes that are loyal to the cartels and right. are now helping move those drugs on into the United States. And they're looked at as, as you know, the Robin Hood. They're, right. they're the Robin Hood, they're Santa Claus, they're the Easter Bunny, and everything else all wrapped into one. Yeah. And the the problem, happen. yeah, the problem you have with that is that, it, you know, the, the, uh, the uh, downside to that is that, you know, the, the, the poverty and crime rates continue to rise and the, the, the rate of violence, the number of murders continue to rise uh, because there is no law and order, uh, you know, in Mexico uh, where right. these cartels are operating. And so, you know, the, they're, uh, they're putting their stamp, uh, you know, on these people and they're winning their hearts and minds until one of them gets out of line or does something that, that the cartels don't like. And then the the retribution is is swift and uh, uh, terminal. Yes, because they win the hearts and minds, and they win these villages over. But what happens is that when the slaughter is happening in Mexico, it's not the cartel people, the bosses that are dying. It's the foot soldiers, right. the, peasants, the villagers that are dying dying in in numbers that are leaving all the men wiped out in whole villages because they're the ones that are dying. Yeah, and they sell their soul to the devil. And they're the ones that die. The cartel people, they find these villagers, there are a dime a dozen to them. They don't care. Right. It's a nameless person, and you get mass graves with nameless people, but they're not nameless to the families, obviously, but to the cartels, they're totally nameless. They could care less about them. Well, and, and the other thing is that these are not just, uh, you know, little, little uh, you know, out of the way villages where this is going on. I mean, this has been going on in, in tourist uh 
locations where they're finding, you know, stacks of bodies in the trunk of a car in Acapulco and, and two, uh, you know, Acapulco police officers have their heads, uh, are beheaded and have their heads put on spikes out in front of the police station. You know, right. th I mean, this is, uh, you know, th th this, this is not going on where, where it can be hidden and kept out of sight They're you know, they're, they're, they're broadcasting exactly what they're doing. They're taking out billboards. You know, what is it? The, 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 the silver and lead, the silver or lead, uh, you know, billboards that they're, uh, they're putting out. You can take our money or you can take our bullets. Right. Right. And the thing is, is that the, a lot of the tourist cities that were for many years off limits, uh, you got Cancun, uh, you have, uh, some places Ca over Cabo. here, Ca yeah. Cabo, Cabo, yeah. uh, a couple of years ago was, had the per, per capita had the the most most homicides per capita in the world at least yeah. the reported world the world the, the part of the world that reports that stuff right but Acapulco yeah. is totally off limits it's it's really bad I just saw an article this morning about uh, they find you're finding mass graves around Rocky Point Rocky Point is a very popular place people from Phoenix go to head south get to the condos go to the beach and they're finding mass graves all around there and. You know, and then I hear a lot of the people will say, well, you know, it's just like many cities in the U.S. No, no, it, it, the gangs in the U.S. do not have 50 cals and are not throwing grenades at each other. Right. Uh, you know, in the gangs in the U.S., most of them still are running around with handguns. You go down south of the border, everyone has an AK or some other type of rifle. And right. Armored vehicles, uh, stuff like that. They're shooting RPGs at each other. That right. doesn't happen in the U.S. No, no, no. In, in fact, the 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 biggest thing, you know, and I know you remember this well. Uh, you know, the 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 big weapon of choice was always the Tech Nine. Yes, you, know, you remember yes. those came out and they and they even advertised them as having a fingerprint resistant finish on them. Yes, know? and the, and and the gun company said, well, that's that's so that it doesn't you know rust and and uh, you know that uh, that that the elements won't get to it and you know but the all the uh, you know all the gang members here heard was that hey it's hard to leave your fingerprints on one, uh, you know. Know the tech nine. Know the tech nine well. When I was a young narcotics cop, I had a search warrant to do, and I was really busy, and I handed the warrant off to another guy. Uh, he did the warrant for me. He got shot five times with the Tech oh, Nine, gosh. making entry. So yeah. the running, he survived. But the running joke after that was like, "Hey, Marco, I got a warrant. You want to do it for me?" And he right. like, "Go to hell." It took him a year to recover. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They yeah. they all had Tech Nines back in the day, and yeah. Uh, well, and uh, you know, I I, I lost a, an academy classmate back in December uh, to a uh, Glock eighteen. You okay. Know, that, uh huh. So. Uh, you know, uh, same situation went and made entry and, and, uh, and the shooter fired on him. So that, you know, we, we, you know, obviously, you know, handgun or, you know, some kind of a, you know, little nine millimeter, uh, sub gun is, uh, you know, just as lethal, uh, can be just as lethal as these, you know, AKs and 50 cals, uh, you know, if, if, if the bad guys get lucky, um, but it's really difficult to uh you know enforce the law when the uh criminals are better armed than you are yes yeah yeah that's what caused us to switch over to the semi-automatics and eventually started arming our guys with the rifles because right. uh we well, were totally outgunned 
Yeah, and you remember the uh, the North Hollywood shootout? When when was that? I I, don't, I can't the date escapes me. But the two guys that are you know head to toe in in body armor and yes. and automatic weapons, you know that that you know sustain a running gunfight, uh, you know through the streets of Los Angeles for uh you know forty five minutes, and uh, you know before and and you had LAPD officers that were going into gun stores and commandeering rifles, uh you know, so that they could try to, uh, take these guys out because they didn't have SWAT, uh, on the scene and they didn't have long guns with them in the cars. Yeah. Yeah. There's, that was, I think the one that really changed everything for us law enforcement to start switching over and arming our guys, first responders with the, uh, rifles. Yeah. Uh, Early in my career, we had a shotgun. We guys that worked the projects you had your handgun and they'd give us a shotgun. Yep. The old, the old, the old, uh, 870 pump, or yep. if you went far enough back, you get an Ithaca, uh, deer slayer model 37 <laughs> and they made, uh, you know, Ithaca made that little bitty, uh, uh, shotgun called the, the, uh, stakeout with had a little pistol grip on it and a little 12 or 14 inch barrel on it, you know, and that was, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, that was, that was big time. And then, uh, you know, but you know, and you remember, uh, the 1986 FBI shootout in Miami, uh, where they switched, uh, that, that led them to switch, uh, from the 38 caliber revolvers to the, uh, the, uh, 10 millimeter, you know, yep. uh, and, uh, you know, so it's always taken something like this to, uh, to fig- for law enforcement to figure out, Hey, we, we've got to escalate a little bit. And that, and that's really interesting because when you follow the use of force continuum, you know, it, it doesn't say if the bad guy takes a punch at you, that you've got to punch him back. You know, you, you escalate to the next level of force above that, that, that it takes to, uh, to end the situation. And, and yet so often it has taken law enforcement, you know, forever and a day to catch up in the, uh, in the realm of firepower, uh, you know, that we're always behind what these guys are, are carrying out in the streets. Here in Phoenix, there was a shooting uh, recently where the officers shot a guy. I think he had a handgun, pointed a handgun at the officers, and he shot him, I think, eight times. So the family is saying, why did they shoot him eight times? Then I would say, okay, let's go back to the shooting that happened to the two uh, L.A. Sheriff's Department uh, officers. One got shot in the head and the other one got right. shot right through the mouth. Right. They were, they were still in a fight. So how many times, if, if you're the bad guy, how many times do you have to shoot them to put them out of the fight? Right. People are so conditioned to watching TV. The guy gets shot. You know, he's doing an armed robbery and a cop shoots him one time and he flies backward into the meat counter. And, right. And he's dead with one shot. And it doesn't happen that way. No, no. It, you, it, know? you know, it, it never happens that way. It's always multiple shots. Uh, you know, and a lot of times, uh, multiple misses, Yes. you know, uh, and, uh, you know, so you, you've got to have the ability to stay in the fight with these guys, uh, both in a mindset and, and equipment wise, you know, you, you've got to be able to do that. And, and I want to move on, uh, you know, we're talking about, you know, the, the problem and the corruption in Columbia and the, the inability to, uh, to uh, you know, equip law enforcement to to deal with uh, with those guys, and but we have that problem here, and we ha- we're having recruiting problems and retention problems. Uh, you know, we've got more and more officers quitting, fewer and fewer applying to uh, to to take their place. Um, you know, and and I think uh, you know the increasing danger, the lack of respect toward officers, uh, 
you know, is one segment of it. But the other segment, I think, is that the, uh, you know, the, the criminal element is even much better armed uh, now than they used to be as well. Yes, yes. And going back to the retention, I think I just saw a memo come out with Phoenix PD where they're examining lowering some standards on drug use, prior drug use, and you're asking for trouble. Yeah, you, you, it's, it's no different. Look, you, you think the Department of Education is bad by going to standardized testing and testing to the lowest common denominator? When right. do you start trying to police that way? Yes. Yes. <laughs> you don't, you, 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 don't say, uh, you know, we're going to, we're going to put some slack ass in here, uh, and give him a gun and a badge. You say, well, we're going to raise the standards and, and, and you know, we're going to make, uh, it a professional, uh, we're going to bring more professionalized standards in here and, and we're going to get a higher quality of person. And then that's going to, you know, work to bridge those gaps in the community where, uh, where, you know, the relationship between law enforcement and the public is, is poor, whether that be actual or perceived, um, you know, and, and we're going to put better cops out on the street and, and hopefully eliminate a lot of this mess. Yes. And a lot of times what happens is some of these uh, groups that are anti-police start making, uh, uh, putting pressure on departments to lower the standards. And they always say we need to bring in uh, more qualified uh, or we need to bring in more minority candidates. Um, you, you, you have to just bring in the best candidates you have. Right. You, you, you can't, you can't fill quotas. You've got to bring no. in the best people that you've got. No. When, oh. when, when I joined the PD, uh, when I took the original test, I had to take it twice. I took it the first time. And I took the test the first time. And I think I was, you know, I was, I was 21 years old. I had been clubbing all night the night before and didn't even sleep, showed up and I missed it by, I think I missed it by four points. When I walked out, a group that was for recruitment of minority personnel pulled me aside and they said, Hey, if you sign on with our program, we'll give you five points and you get onto the next, to the next, <laughs> the next pass. They actually told me that. And I said, no, thanks. I, I just walked away. And, uh, a month later, I took the test and I passed, but I slept well and, and, and then the rest was history. I was in the academy yeah. really quick. And the thing is, is that when you start pushing, start lowering the standards, you always are going to have problems. Yeah. Well, and you know, that example that you're given is no different than a, than a kickback. Yes. Yes. You know, that's, that's the same thing that we, we have ethics violations for. Uh, and we tell officers, you know, that you're not allowed to accept a free cup of coffee just because you walk into the place and, and, uh, you know, you're wearing a badge, uh, you know, and, and, uh, but, but here, you know, if, if you're a minority, we're going to give you five points. Yes. You know, <laughs> and I'm, I'm thinking, you know, if I'm a minority, I'm going to be insulted about that. Cause you're, you're basically saying that I'm five points worse than the next guy. Yeah, you're not smart enough to pass on your own yeah. merit. So uh, here we're gonna we're gonna boost you. And I don't know. I mean, I was 21 years old, and I remember thinking, I'm gonna owe somebody something. I said, I don't. Want, I had enough common sense at that time to say no. I know I can yeah. take the test next month. I'll get some sleep and I'll be ready to go. And and uh, so I did it. But it was uh, took the test a month later. Yeah. Uh, well, instead of lowering, you know, talking about lowering the standards, lower, uh, you know, being less stringent on prior drug use and everything, the, why don't we go down into 
the high schools, you know, so many teenagers are deciding, you know, on a career path and an educational path uh, at younger and younger ages. Uh, so why, why aren't we developing programs? You know, uh, when I was young, we had the Explorer Post program. Yes, yes. And then when I started at the sheriff's office, I ran that program for us at the sheriff's office. Uh, and, and, you know, we had some really great groups of kids and we would bring, like I would bring the uh, head of uh, investigations in and he would, you know, walk us through step-by-step step doing an investigation to include like fingerprinting and crime scene photography and, and all of these kind of things, you know, it, it, it just seems like, you know, if you're going to bring in, you know, if you're going to teach, uh, of course, we don't teach shop class or home ec anymore either, but, uh, you know, if you're going to teach some of these life skill classes, uh, uh, then, you know, let's teach some career skill classes. Uh, you know, I mean, we've got kids that are able to take college level accounting classes or, you know, law classes uh, while they're still in high school. Well, let's get some of these kids and get them before they have a chance to uh, to derail themselves and become one of the lowered standard uh, candidates and, and let's groom them to become a higher standard candidate with, uh, with some, you know, baseline level, you know, training. I mean, when, when I was in the army, they told us that the only thing you needed to be successful in the army was an eighth grade education. Right. You know, yep. I mean, it's, it's not that much different being a patrol officer, you know, you, you, you don't have to be a book genius to do this. You have to have some guidance and a little bit of training and some common sense, uh, you know, and, and, you know, we can start that path at a much younger age than, than totally, we have been. Totally agree. At the tail end of my career, after I left the undercover units, uh, I happened to run into my old eighth grade teacher that I had from the neighborhood. And he asked me, can you come talk to the students and they set it up where I was going out talking to sixth, seventh and eighth graders. And I'd, I'd show up to the class at, or to the auditorium and they'd introduce me. And, and you no, know, this is the same school I went to same eighth grade teacher was still teaching. My old PE coach was now the principal. And I would, I would give him my story. My story was that second time I took that police test, I took the police test. Uh, I filled out the paperwork back then. They didn't have a, they, they didn't have a psych. Maybe that's why I got through back then, but I had a polygraph. I passed the polygraph. I never used any drugs, never even smoked yeah. pot. Right. So as a minority, I got in like, uh, I took the test. Uh, and in one month later, I was already in the Academy by a stroke of luck. They had an opening come up and I remember asking my recruiter, how did this happen so fast? I have friends who've been trying to get on for years. And he pulled out my application and he showed me no arrest, no drug use. He says, you know how many minorities we find with this? It doesn't happen. And so they put me to the front of the class. So I went up to these students and I tell them the story. The, I tell them decisions you make today can affect you for the rest of your life. Stay away from drugs. Yeah. A teacher complained about what I said. They complained of that message that I said, because she said, maybe somebody's already used dope. And, and now they feel they have no hope. <laughs> I think I could make a bumper sticker out of that. They complained about that message. Uh, that's what, Look, I, I got to tell this story real quick, too. When, uh, when I was in high school, I had a cousin that was lieutenant on the police department. And uh, I got him to come and talk to my civics class. And he, he was in there and he was talking and we were all having a great time and everything. And he, and he told a story 
uh, about some some people that were uh, dealing dope and and how many times they would get complaints and and go and and he said sometimes we find a little something sometimes we we don't find anything but it's always out of this one hotel blah 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 well the kid whose parents owned that hotel was in that class and so he he went home and told his parents and complained and so my my cousin had to come back and uh and give an apology to the class and and, and he came in and he said uh he said, so I just want everybody to know that I'm really sorry that his parents deal dope out of their hotel room, and y'all shouldn't go over there. And <laughs> that's hilarious. I said, that's, you know, that's, that's the kind of leadership we need. And, you know, you're talking, and I, I want to go back to something real quick, because we were talking about uh, in some previous conversations we had about bridging the gap between law enforcement and minority communities. And you know, when, when they're telling you, you know, uh, we don't see anybody in the potential applicant pool that's never been arrested and never smoked dope. You know, I, I think that the onus is on the minority community there, you know, to, to really step up and, and try to, you know, change that. Cause they keep looking at how we have to change the culture of law enforcement to, uh, to interact with these people, but the, the, the community has an obligation and a responsibility on itself to change that culture of those young people that are coming up so that they don't wind up having a bunch of candidates who all have an arrest record or a drug, a history of drug use. I mean, it's, it can't all be on law enforcement to, to, to handle that. And then to say, oh, well, uh, you know, we're, we're not going to hold breaking the law against you and we're not going to hold smoking dope against it's, you. You know, I mean, it's, it, it's crazy to think that that's got to be a one-way street. We need to have such low expectations of ourselves. Even a cousin called me one day when I was a cop and says, Hey, Bobby, uh, we got uh, one of, one of our cousins try to get on the police department that he turned him down. What did they turn him down for? So she makes a phone call and calls him back. They said, well, because they said he used cocaine a couple of times when blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, that's automatic disqualifier, or at least right now it is. And she goes, that's stupid. Everybody uses cocaine. Right. You and know, I was I mean... like, what? No. <laughs> I said, I never use cocaine. And I told her I didn't even smoke pot. And she's like, oh, come on. Everybody smokes pot for sure. And <laughs> It's, it's the it's it's the old it's the old question your mother always asked you. Well, if everybody was jumping off a bridge, would you? Yeah. Yes. And then <laughs> the whole thing, of course, she made it into. Well, I think you guys are a bunch of racists. That's why you didn't hire him. And I was like, well, I must have snuck through. Okay. Yeah. But it's just it's low expectations we have in the, I think, in the minority community, and we glorify poor behavior. We glorify drug use for for sure. Yeah. And everybody is like, well, everybody does it. No, they don't. And, uh, and, and to me, in my case, it got me to the front of the line. Well, that's it, like I'm you know, in the front of the line. It, it, it goes back to the change that we have in, you know, you know, universally in, in this country. And that is that we, we have switched, we've transitioned from punishing criminal behavior to making excuses for it and telling people, oh, well, that, that was just a mistake. He just made a mistake. Yeah. And, and the truth is he made a conscious choice. Right. You know, and, and we, we've got to stop, uh, you know, uh, enabling that kind of behavior. 
and we've got to have a higher expectation. That's uh, you're exactly right. We've got to we've got to have a higher expectation of our young people and and our communities. No, no matter what their demographic is, we should have a high standard expectation for whatever community we live in. Exactly, exactly. All communities. And, and you know, one final point at uh, at the tail end of my career, I was working in a wiretap unit. I get a phone call late at night, like during the evening news. A friend I went to high school, he's in a panic. He's watching the news and the house where his brother lives, a SWAT team just, they're showing, they're out there with the shooting, they killed somebody and he wants to know if they killed, if the SWAT team killed his brother. And it turned out they didn't, but they killed his roommate. I went to school with both of them. I knew both yeah. of them. One of them was a dope dealer. He had been to prison for shooting somebody and they, uh, you know, things didn't go right. The, the SWAT team ended up having to kill one of them. And of course, my partner, my friend, my old friend calls me back and was like, well, those cops are just racist. They just shot him because he is Mexican. And I was like, no, he had a gun. He didn't yeah. do what they told him to do. And it's just this, it's just, if things don't go right, then they go to the race card. Uh, just Every time. Comply, comply. Yeah. And don't sell dope. Also, don't yeah. sell dope don't, out of your don't, house. Don't, don't sell dope. Don't commit crimes. Right. Do what the officer tells you. And you know what happens? You survive the encounter. Yes. Every plus, single time. Plus, normally when we're in narcotics, we don't go around randomly kicking in people's doors. No. No. You know, and we, we had a, you know, a, a, a lieutenant that I worked with one time, and we were on a, we had a uh, NHTSA traffic grant uh, to, to go out and do traffic enforcement. And uh, so we were, we were out there, and, uh, and he makes a stop. And, and the woman said, well, you only pulled me over because – I'm black. And he said, yes, ma'am, you're exactly right. He said, the sheriff's office gave me this radar gun that tells me not only the speed, but also the race of every driver that, that comes by here. And, you know, I mean, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm just kind of flabbergasted. I'm like, what do you say? <laughs> but yes, you yes. know, that's, uh, th th that's, you know, the perception that's, that's out there. And I, I know that you've pulled over hundreds, if not thousands of cars in, in, in your time. And, and I have too. And unless it's broad daylight, you know, with uh, cl completely clear windows, you don't have any idea who's driving the car. No, no, not until at all. you, until you walk up there and look them in the eye, you know, you, you have no idea who's, who's behind the wheel of the car. And, right. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's silly that those kind of things, uh, get, uh, get pointed out, uh, right. you know, time and time again, you know, it's, it's always the officer that did something rather than the person who broke the law. It's easier to point a finger to than to look in the mirror. That's it's exactly right. Yep. That's exactly right. All right. Well, let's go one, one more before we run out of time here. Uh, so, uh, the, uh, the feds just indicted a bunch of fellows. I think there was about 13 of them that got arrested in Michigan. Uh, the Wolverine watchmen, uh, were plotting to kidnap Michigan governor, uh, Whitmer, uh, and had a plan, a, a sort of, uh, I guess, manifesto, if you will, about targeting, uh, public officials and law enforcement. So this, this, you know, narrative from the left that, uh, you know, uh, everybody uh, the you know white supremacist if you're not a democrat you're you're a racist well you know i don't know how you target uh 
law enforcement when Joe Biden wouldn't even talk about law and order the other night in the debate and the president disavowed any racism, any racial groups and talked about supporting law and order. Uh, and, uh, and yet now here we've got this, uh, supremacy group plotting to kidnap a democratic governor and target her law enforcement and security detail, as well as other public servants. Yeah. These groups are extremely, extremely dangerous, but I mean, I think anybody with any decency would denounce them. I mean, obviously, you know, that's the thing. And, you know, we've talked about it off the air. We've talked about it in other, you know, circumstances. Nobody is for this. Right. You know, except except other white supremacist extremists, you know, these homegrown uh, domestic uh, terrorists, uh, you know, nobody else is is for these people. We we want them to obey the law. You know, if you're if if, if they want to be open carriers uh, of firearms, great. Do it. Do it legally. Comply with the law, you know, and and don't plot to kidnap the governor. Right. Right. (laughs) Otherwise, you know, go on out, mind your own business and and, and obey the law. Yeah, just thankful that they they uh, uncovered this plot before they were able to carry it out. Yeah, well, this group FBI, was yeah, yeah, the FBI did a great job infiltrating them and and right. uh, you know uh, uh, you know finding out what was going on before something tragic could actually happen. Uh, you know, and and the bottom line is that these these are not people that are uh, you know staging an all out assault. If they wanted to do that, they could have done it when they you know protested in front of the state house. Uh, you know, a couple of months ago and, and, uh, you know, you had, a you know, hundreds of armed, uh, people, uh, out there protesting the, uh, the, the attempted gun laws and the, you know, the, a bunch of the blue States have said, uh, oh, well, it's a pandemic. We're going to enact firearms laws. And, and clearly those are unconstitutional. And those people were out there and exercising their second amendment right to protest that. And, and, and they were lawful about it. And there was no, uh, gunfire and no illegal use of weapons or anything like that. But, uh, you know, it, it, it doesn't mean that, uh, all of these guys are good. Obviously they're not because there wouldn't be 13 indictments to come out of this, uh, uh, you know, uncovering a plot to kidnap the, uh, Michigan governor. And of course, so the, the Mex- the Michigan governor, not to miss an opportunity turns yeah. around and starts, uh, uh, accusing, uh, president Trump of, right. of causing this. And, uh, you know, while meantime, they keep telling us that all these uh, about these peaceful protests, even Michelle Obama came out and talked about these peaceful protests and everything else where cities are in flames. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I never saw anything peaceful that caused a fire. Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, (laughs) I I, I never saw anything peaceful that sprayed graffiti uh, on the front of a public building and busted all the windows out of it. Right. Right. Yeah. It's just. It's just, just, it, you hate to see this. She's a governor and she's using this as a, a means to launch a political attack. And uh, of course she's blaming the wrong people because I think everyone uh, is, is opposed to these people, this type right. of ideology these people share. Yeah. Again, nobody's for this yes. ex- except these people and, and uh, you know, it's it's easy to uh, to jump on a bandwagon if you're somebody who uh, breaks the law and, and commits crimes, uh, you know, and 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 is generally uh, anti-government, anti-establishment. Uh, 
you know, it's easy, it's easy to, to jump on that bandwagon and, uh, you know, it takes some, some fortitude. It takes people who are wearing a badge because I guarantee you, governor Whitmer's not going to walk out there in the street and tell him to stop and, right. and grab one and, and take him into custody. So it takes people that, that are willing to, uh, uh, step up, wear the badge and step forward, you know, into that arena, you, you know, uh, somebody asked, uh, you know, uh, Wyatt Earp one time, you know, how, how did you win so many, so many gunfights? And the answer was, cause I was willing to get in them. Yeah. yeah. You know, to, to keep the peace. I'm, I'm willing to do that, you know, and, and that's, you know, all of these, you know, politicians are out there and they're spouting off this and they're spouting off that, but not one of them is willing to step into that arena. Yeah, I think another problem, uh, I was talking to some uh, law enforcement friends, guys, that a couple are still in the game and some, most of them are retired. One of the things is that with all these attacks on law enforcement, it creates an environment where cops, I would think, eventually are going to be very hesitant to be proactive in fighting crime. You need cops to be proactive yeah. because if you're just reactive, you're just responding to a crime that already happened. Right. You need to be able to stop crime and be aggressive in being proactive, doing proactive investigations, uh, using intelligence-based targeting of yeah. suspects that you believe are going to be uh, committing crimes. And sometimes, you know, those cases are dangerous. They're very dangerous cases, but you need guys, and guys are willing to do that, but right. not if they're going to get spanked or end their careers because they made a mistake, uh, yeah. an honest mistake, or uh, they go after the wrong person. Yeah. that's what's happening in, in, in some of these cases. You go after the wrong person that might be politically connected and, right. and they're being spanked or being transferred and everything else. Right. And, and that used to be the standard. The standard was operating in good faith. Yes. You know, and, and, and now that's off the table. It doesn't, it doesn't matter, you know, how hard you were trying to do your job well. Uh, you know, you, you step one foot, uh, over the line of, of, you know, public perception and, and you get thrown to the wolves. Right. And, you know, throughout my career, I can honestly say, I don't think I ever changed anything the way I did, but I didn't face an environment that cops are facing today. Right. Yeah. I, I was, thank God. I was, thank yeah, God. I was always very proud of being who I was and making sure everybody knew that. Right. And, and that, you know, this is the way it's going to be done. And if you, if you cross that line, then I'm going to arrest you. If you don't, then, you know, we're fine. And, and I tried to always stick to that. I try, you know, and, and, you know, thankfully, you know, a couple of commendations and, uh, and no, uh, no lawsuits, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, I feel like I came out of my career unscathed and, and I know you feel the same way. There's a, uh, and I think when you, when you look at the, uh, uh, with the in a lot of the investigations that we're seeing or a lot of complaints that come out uh the officers like i said if i worked with some bad bosses i worked with some bad chiefs but i think at my level it didn't really affect what we were trying to do maybe we had a boss that wasn't allowing us to work over the the overtime hours that we needed but it didn't change what we were doing but like i said i just my heart goes out to the officers right now what they're having to encounter this especially in some of these Democrat, Democrat run cities. Um, it's, I don't know. I don't know if it would change the way I would have to do things, uh, at least think, yeah. but, uh, 
like I said, I didn't encounter that during my career. Yeah. Well, that'll be a topic for another day. Robert, it's been great to talk to you. That's going to wrap it up for another edition of uh, Battleground this week with the uh, off-duty segment. And we're going to wrap it up. Uh, tune in next time when uh, Ivan Garcia Hidalgo will be back with you on Battleground. That's going to do it for us on Off-Duty Law Enforcement Fridays. All right. All right. Good. <laughs> that was, uh, that was uh, really good. Let me uh, let me stop this recording here. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.